six years old when my family moved into my childhood home. And it was an okay house. But a couple years later, it became an awesome house. Because a couple years after we moved in, my parents finished the basement. And it became our lair. It became my little brother and I's playroom. It became our area. Now it's strange, my wife didn't grow up with a basement. So I still think of the basement as my area in our house, and she thinks of the main floor as her area in the house. And in reality, it's all Patrick's area. We just <laughs> but my brother and I really turned the basement into our own space. We had a TV down there and a Super Nintendo. We had our toys and movies down there. Eventually, we got a ping pong table and a foosball table. It was a it's an awesome space. There's some great old Orioles baseball posters hanging up. But with, uh, but with video games and videos and toys and cars and army men and swords and board, board games and Nerf guns, etc., 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 routinely, the basement would get incredibly messy. So we'd have to clean it. Now, there were two types of basement cleanings. The first type was basically clearing off the floor, throwing all of our toys back into the closet. Not actually in an organized fashion, I mean literally throwing toys into the closet. Putting videos back on the shelf, putting video games away, maybe, maybe untangling the Super Nintendo cords. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. But with that cleaning, the closet would uh, really be unorganized and there was a table that wasn't touched. That table had craft supplies on it and crayons and paper and glue and scissors and then anything else we threw on top of all of that. It quickly became known as the messy table. And when we did the first type of cleaning and one of our parents came downstairs to inspect, they'd tell us we did a great job of cleaning the floor but then would point to the table and say, what about that? And we'd say, that's the messy table. It's supposed to be messy. And if it was the first type of cleaning, that would suffice. Then there was the second type of cleaning. And that, was, and that cleaning included cleaning the messy table. We didn't like cleaning the messy table. That's, where, that's the one where we had to throw away our old drawings, we had to throw away scraps of paper, get the glue spots off of the table. That's where we couldn't just throw our toys into the closet, we had to organize the closet. The first type of cleaning probably took us an hour, which was still a lot to little kids, but the second type of cleaning took all day. I think there were about five times I can remember in my childhood when we cleaned the messy table. All of this will make sense in a minute, I promise. We're at the tail end of our Christian season of Lent, and this Lent we have been engaging in some spring cleaning for our soul. We've been looking at our spiritual lives and finding areas where we need to do some work along with God to get our souls ready for Easter. We've talked about responding to God's call in our life. We've talked about trusting God to carry us through. We've talked about looking at our lives and at the world the way that God looks at our lives and at the world. And all those cleanings are good and important and can be difficult. But today, we have to address the messy tables in our lives. We have to address the places in our lives we don't want to clean. 
where we don't want to do work, where we don't want to look. Most of the time when we look at where we are before God, we do the spiritual equivalent of cleaning off the floor. How is our prayer life? How is our devotional life? Are we doing acts of mercy and justice? Are we giving to the poor? Are we loving our neighbor? And it's important to do that work, and it's important that we do that fairly often. I'd extend the metaphor to say, otherwise we'll spiritually trip over toys or stub our toes, but I wonder if you tire of my extended metaphors. But there are parts of our lives that we don't want to look at, parts we don't want to clean. And when we are called to do work there, when we are called to clean the messy table, we groan. Because we know it's going to be hard, take a lot of time, and mean we won't get to do anything fun all Saturday. But as we head towards Holy Week and Easter, it's the final place that our spiritual spring cleaning takes us. Our, our scripture this morning comes to us from the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel is one of the major prophets of the southern kingdom and was a contemporary of Jeremiah. Like Jeremiah, most of Ezekiel's early messages involved predicting the destruction of Jerusalem. And like Jeremiah, Ezekiel also has messages of hope that one day God would act on behalf of his chosen people and would restore to them their land. But unlike Jeremiah, Ezekiel's prophecies are delivered using vivid imagery. The same people who say that my overly talkative son is incredibly verbal might say that Ezekiel has an active imagination. So when God first calls Ezekiel, we get a story about angels and beasts and a wheel and fire and lightning. The beasts had wings and human hands under the wings. They had four heads, a human head, an ox head, a lion head, and an eagle head. The story goes on to include topaz wheels, the wheels going in sync with the creatures, and God's voice somehow coming through all of this. That story full of vivid imagery, such that you can see in your mind what the prophet is seeing, covers the rest of the book. And later on in the book, we get this story full of vivid imagery from Ezekiel's 37th chapter. It's going to be displayed on the screen right there. It's printed in your lifeline. And if you would like a Bible, we give them away for free over at our welcome table. The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, Sovereign, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. 
Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy son of man and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me and breath entered them. They came to life and stood upon their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, This is what the Sovereign Lord says. My people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring, up, and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle in your own, you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken, and I have done it, declares the Lord. So Ezekiel is led by God into a valley of dry bones. A valley full of bones is the epitome of hopelessness. Not only is the valley full of dry... Not only is a valley full of dry bones a place of death, a place without life, but saying that the bones are dry lets us know that there hasn't been life there for a long, long, long time. And there won't be life anytime soon. If we were rewriting this story in today's context, we could talk about Ezekiel being led into my garden because I can't make plants grow, because I kill them. I'm going to keep overly explaining this joke until you laugh. <laughs> God asks Ezekiel a simple question. Son of man, can these bones live? And let me tell you what my answer would be. Actually, never mind. We're addressing God here. So if I was addressing God, my, my answer probably wouldn't be what I just implied it would be. But the question is a bit comical or farcical, is it not? Can dry bones live? No. No, they can't. There's, there's nothing here. No hope, no life, no future. And there hasn't been for a long, long, long time. But Ezekiel is a man of great faith. So he says, well, God, if you think so, then yes. We're later told that the dry bones are the people of Israel. They are the chosen ones of God. There's no life, there's no hope, there's no future. And there hasn't been for a long, long time. Which is what Ezekiel and Jeremiah and Isaiah and the prophets have been saying for a long, long, long time. The people have wandered from God. The people have turned their backs on God. And that has left them dead. That has left them as dry bones. Our lives can be like that too. Lent is a time in the church year when we contemplate, when we come to terms with, when we remember that without God in our lives, without Jesus in our lives, without the cross and without Easter, our lives are a valley of dry bones. That without God and Jesus in our lives, we are without hope, without a future, without life. There are some of us who have grown up in the church. There are some of us who have grown up with God and with Jesus and faith as a given. And for those of us that have grown up always knowing God, always knowing about Jesus, who have grown up in the church, we might struggle with this part of Lent. We have to rely on those that have come to faith because they have something we don't have. They know what it is to live life without Jesus, what it is to live life with Jesus, and the difference between the two. 
What I can say as someone who grew up in the church is that there was a time in my life when God's love for me wasn't as important as other people's love for me. Not going to lie, there's still times like that. And when I think about times in my life where I felt rejected, when I think about times in my life when I felt abandoned, when I think about times in my life when I felt unworthy or unloved, I don't want to go back to that. Because in all of those times, God was waiting to call me child. God was right there with me. God was calling me worthy. God was calling me beloved. And I don't want to go back to those places. There's a whole world out there that doesn't know God, that doesn't know Jesus. There's a whole world that doesn't know what it is to live with Christ. What, friends, are we going to do about it? God asks Ezekiel if those dry bones can live, and Ezekiel says, if you say so, God. Then God tells Ezekiel to prophesy to the bones. I began this sermon talking about the messy table that place we dread to clean. In our lives, we have places that we dread to clean, places we dread to go. Within each of us, there is a valley of dry bones. There are spaces in our lives where it looks like all hope is lost, where it looks like there is no life. Maybe it's a failed relationship. Maybe it's a failed career. Maybe it's something that you never tried. Maybe it's an untimely loss of a loved one. Maybe it's about how you view yourself, your worth. There are dry bones, there are dry places within each of us. Today we're going to prophesy to the bones. We're going to speak words of grace and, to the, and life into those spaces. God told Ezekiel to prophesy to the bones and Ezekiel obeyed. He said, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you, and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you, and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. There is a space in your life that is dry. There is a valley of dry bones in your soul. I know it because there is one in mine. And I want you to prophesy to that space. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. God's Spirit is going to come in there and there will be life. God is going to bring healing and God is going to bring wholeness and God is going to make that place in your life complete. God is going to use that space. God is going to do something with that space for His good. God is going to do that and you will know that our God reigns and our God is for us. Now here's the thing. When Ezekiel spoke those words, things started to happen. But it's not that Ezekiel had the magic words. It's not that Ezekiel speaking did it. But God decided to work. And when God worked, tendons and sinews connected the bones, muscles came over the bones, flesh came over the bones, and Ezekiel prophesied to the breath, and what had been dry bones became living, breathing, healthy, alive people. At this point, I need to, to, to stop, press pause, and talk about what we mean when we talk about the resurrection of the body and eternal life. There's a move in modern thought to talk about people living on in terms of memory. 
when a loved one passes. The lessons she taught us and the memories we have of time with her remain, and in that sense, she lives on. Or we can talk about how energy is never created nor destroyed, it simply changes states. And that the energy that was a person will feed the grass so that we live on forever as a part of the physical universe. And none of that is false. It's just not the full story, the full story in terms of how Christians talk about these things. The New Testament makes clear that Jesus was raised from the dead. And the New Testament makes clear that Jesus was the first fruits of the future resurrection of the dead. And the New Testament makes clear that God's kingdom will come to earth in the fullness of time. So when Christians talk about the resurrection of the body and of eternal life, we are talking about a real, embodied, eternal life with God. Now, I have no idea what that will look like. I've never been there. But when Christians talk about eternal life and the resurrection of the body and about Jesus' resurrection, we aren't being metaphorical. We don't know how it works. We know it doesn't make sense, and yet we know it's true. And that we don't know how it works, and that we know it doesn't make sense, is kind of the point. Because when it comes to what happened in the Valley of Dry Bones, when it comes to what happens in our lives, when it comes to what happens in Jesus' tomb, and when it comes to what happens when we die, we are talking about a work of God. You see, when we talk about stories and lessons and memory going on into eternity, when we want to talk about the eternal nature of energy, when we want to talk about eternal life in those senses, we are trying to make it work out apart from God. So that way we don't have to rely on God. That way we aren't wholly dependent on God. But these works are big enough. These things are impossible enough that they can only be done by an all-powerful God. How can Jesus be raised from the dead? How can we have eternal life? How can a valley of dry bones become living people? Only by the very power and very act of God. God wants to bring healing to the driest and darkest and hardest and messiest places in your life. God wants to bring life to your valley of dry bones. Prophesy. Speak into that place. Speak God into that place. And keep prophesying. Keep speaking life. Keep speaking God into that place until God works. Until God acts. Until that place is healed and filled with life. It won't come easy. It won't come through the power of positive thinking. It won't come through platitudes or through wish fulfillment. If any of that did work, it wouldn't really be the valley of dry bones. If you're with me, then you're with me. But God will bring life. God will bring healing. God will bring wholeness. God will do it in a way that only God can. Again, if you're with me, then you're with me. And when God does, when God does bring healing, when God does bring wholeness, when God does make those dry bones live, you will know who God is and what God does and what it means for God to be with us. Before we leave this passage behind, I want to switch gears drastically uh, and talk about our church. Now this church is not a valley of dry bones. This church is not a place without life or without hope. This church is teeming with life, teeming with God's spirit, teeming with hope and a future. God is here. God is working. God's spirit will continue to bring life and grace and hope and salvation to this place. 
But this church is different than it was a couple years ago. We started a second campus, undergone a pastoral transition where you all had to learn up with me talking about sports and The Bachelor all the time and dealt with all that brought. And now we are entering a new phase as we welcome those who have come to encounter Jesus as a part of our bilingual service into our fellowship here, while we also prepare to send our founding pastor, Matt Meisenhelter, off to the beach. So what does any of this have to do with the sermon this morning? God has brought life and new life to your lives. You are the dry bones that God has made live again. I need you to be that here. I need you to be that in this church. I need you to be that in our community. I need you to commit to this church. Commit to our mission of helping people encounter Jesus. Commit to discipleship through worship and small groups and service. I need you to commit to being the life that God is bringing to this place. I need you to commit to being the hope that God is bringing to this place. I need you to commit to being the new thing that God is doing here. I need you to commit. Can this place live? God alone knows. But if this place lives, it's going to be because you are the life. You are the hope. You are the future. So on this day and in this place, commit to being that future. Commit to being the life by coming to worship. Commit to being the life in your small group. Commit to being the life by serving your church. Commit to being the life by giving to your church. Commit to being the life by witnessing to the youth, to the children, to, to others in your church. Commit to being the life by spreading the word about your church in our community. Today I need you to commit. And that's your task. That's your homework. If you'll do that, I want you to take out your green Keeping Connected card. Write your name on the side that says your name. And on the back side, along with any prayer requests you might have, simply put two words. I'm in. Will you commit to your church? Will you commit to being the life in your church? Will you commit to what we're doing here, to what God is doing here? Will you be the dry bones that live again? And will your new life help lead others to find their new life in God? Let us pray. Almighty and all-loving God, your spirit has been poured out in our lives, in our hearts, in our souls. We who were once no people are now your people. We who were once dead are now alive. And that life is in you. Make us to be that life in the world, God. Pour out your spirit and compel us to go out into the world and be agents of new life. Help us to go out and, and to witness, to prophesy to others that they too can find life in you. And God, even as we do this, even as we follow you, even as we know we have life in you, there are places in our lives that still run dry. There are places in our hearts that still run dry.
God, send your spirit to those places. Send your spirit to those spaces. Bring life, bring healing, bring wholeness. So that we can be fully alive. Fully alive for you. Make us whole, God. Bring us peace, God. And then lead us by your hand out into the dry spaces in our world. To be the new life, to be the new thing that you are doing in that place. In your son's name we pray. Amen. was a valley full of dry bones became a living army when God's spirit got involved what is bread and juice becomes for us something much more much more powerful when God's spirit get invo gets involved and our lives become much more beautiful when God's Spirit gets involved. And so we come to the table to receive again and anew God's grace in our hearts and in our lives. Let us pray. Almighty and all-loving God, creator of all that is, You made us out of the dust of the earth and breathed into us the breath of life. Our love failed and we turned away. But your love has remained steadfast. You delivered us from slavery to sin and death. You made covenant to be our sovereign God and you spoke to us through your prophets. In the fullness of time you sent to us your one and only Son, Jesus Christ, to teach us how to live, how to love, and to teach us who you are. And on the cross, the fullness of your love was revealed to us. On the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread, gave you thanks, broke the bread, gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When the supper was over, he took the cup, again gave you thanks, gave it to his disciples and said, drink of this, all of you. This is my blood of a new covenant, poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. And so, in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice, in union with Christ's offering for us. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here, and on these gifts of bread and juice. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world, until Christ comes in final victory, and we feast at his heavenly banquet. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit in your holy church, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty God, now and forever. Amen. 
And now with the confidence of children of God, let us pray together as Christ taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Here at Spirit and Life, communion is open to all, regardless of age or church membership. This is Christ's table, and Christ invites all of you to come and dine with him. We have elements that are free of the eight most common food allergens, including gluten, wheat, dairy, and egg. Uh, if you need one of those, please ask your server. And would those who are helping serve, please come forward.